Welcome back to another episode of our Six Questions podcast. I'm Trent England for Save Our Estates, and glad to welcome you, glad to welcome back a returning uh, podcast guest, Jason Sneed. He's the executive director of the Honest Elections Project. Nothing could be more important than honest elections. You know, it seems like both sides pay lip service to that, at least. But Jason is out there on the front lines working to actually make it happen. So, Jason, welcome back. It's always great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's let's jump right in. You have had a string of what I think are really significant victories, particularly in Arizona and in Michigan. So let let's just start with that. What tell folks what's been going on in in I guess both of these states. I'll I'll put these questions sort of together because these are similar efforts by the by the left and uh, and let's make question one about you know what what has happened in Arizona but give folks the background here sure so you know let's let's rewind the clock a couple of years here for for a moment go back to January of 2021 when we had a, a democratic president a democratic house and a democratic senate come into to power and what was their number one priority from a policy perspective it was to launch a partisan federal takeover of elections and further the the the, the, the liberal goal of winding the clock back on election reforms that have happened over the last few years and stopping state legislatures from advancing the ball and bringing things like voter ID to mail-in ballots. And they failed, right? They failed to advance uh, HR1 and blow up the filibuster in the Senate to get that uh, takeover done. And they failed to pressure, coerce, or intimidate state legislatures into backing away from their commitment to improve election integrity. So you saw Georgia and Texas and Iowa and Florida and Arizona, and you know the list goes on of states that actually passed good common sense and very popular election integrity measures. So what we've seen is the left pivot from trying to stop legislation, trying to unwind it at the initiative process and, and try to get uh, initiatives on the ballot to unwind, uh, to unwind all the progress that has been made and to impose a, a liberal voting agenda on states. And we saw this in Arizona and Michigan. And so that's, you know, kind of the backstory to, to get us to what happened in Arizona, where we were, we were basically watching HR1 for the state of Arizona trying to get put on the ballot in November and a massive amount of money from, you know, dark money special interests on the left was pouring into the state to try to gather the signatures to get that done. And fortunately, we were able to help pull together a coalition of conservative groups that were committed to election integrity to challenge that effort in court. And we had a really, really big victory uh, just last week where in the Arizona Supreme Court, we, we conclusively got the judgment that enough signatures were invalid, you know, invalid signatures to prevent that measure from going on the ballot. So we were able to kill that effort in Arizona. And now we're looking at trying to do the same thing uh, up in Michigan. So it was a big victory. It really spared the state of what I think would have been an expensive, ugly, misleading contest because the left isn't going to go after uh, voter ID laws and vote trafficking bans in good faith. They're going to pretend that this somehow improves election integrity because they know the policies they're trying to roll back are just too popular. Yeah, and they they put all kinds of provisions in these measures. I think, you know, it's it's been interesting to me kind of watching how they put these things together. You know, there's always something that sounds really good, 
But at the end of the day, when you break down, you know, what it is that the left is trying to do, those are things that the public actually doesn't want. Let's let's jump to Michigan because, you know, you've already told us a part of this story. But uh, question number two, Jason, what is the state of play in in Michigan where another one of these fights is is uh, playing out? And and this week uh, there's been at least a preliminary victory for your team. That's right. So up in Michigan, we see another one of these attempts to rewrite election rules at the ballot box and and, and a massive amount of money has gone into this initiative. It, you know, to your point about the left's really good use of language, you know, it's it's called promote the vote. And it sounds like it's a, a very positive thing. It's about the fundamental right to vote, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They're very good at using that sort of language and crafting these sorts of initiatives. So there's something for everybody and they can sort of steer you around the very, very unpopular aspects of their plan. But this measure, among other things, would create uh, nine days of, of early voting. It would create a mandate that the state deploy what it calls secure drop boxes, but actually doesn't spell out what that, that security means. It certainly doesn't uh, require that they be placed in locations where you can seal them off. It doesn't require that they be staffed or even monitored by, by video surveillance. And it doesn't require that they be uh, available during standard hours. In fact, it specifies that they have to be available for 40 days, 24 hours a day. So these are insecure drop boxes that people can use in the dead of night. Uh, and it creates a constitutional requirement for Zuckbucks. So election offices would be able to receive on an ongoing basis, direct financial investments from left-wing special interests to administer our elections. Now, they're not, again, going to talk about any of this in the, the, the sort of you know straightforward, good-faith way. They're going to present this as something that's preserving voting rights and preserving democracy. And if you don't uh, support this, then somehow you're anti-democracy. So this, uh, this initiative, too, they turned in signatures. And in the Board of Canvassers, there was a split vote, two versus two, which actually means that this measure, at least as of right now, is also not going to be on the November ballot, despite the massive amount of money that was poured in from the left. Now, this is, as you said, a preliminary victory because it's going to be, uh, in fact, it already has been uh, challenged in the Michigan Supreme Court. So the, the folks that were attempting to get this on the ballot are now trying to get the Michigan Supreme Court to override the judgment of the Board of Canvassers and put this on the November ballot. So, you know, once again, we're watching that one very carefully. And I think that we're going to know potentially within a week whether this is going to be something that's going to get fought out at the ballot or not. I hope it's not because it's important to follow election rules. And what happened here was there are parts of the state constitution that voters weren't notified about when they were signing the petitions. And I, I agree with the uh, chair of the board of canvassers when he said, you know, voters should know what's in the petitions that they're signing. That's a, a requirement for a reason. And I think it's important to follow those rules and make sure that we, uh, we have that transparency. Well, uh, for question three, let's stick with bad ballot measure ideas for 300 uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and go over to Missouri because uh, a, a, a measure that I think I think pretty much everybody thought was headed for the ballot in Missouri this November has also been derailed in that case just by a clear lack of signatures, a lack of citizen interest in the idea of ranked choice voting in Missouri. Jason, why, you know, this is an idea that's sold as 
um, you know, it's just pro-democracy and it means that the winner is guaranteed a majority and all these claims in favor of ranked choice voting, sometimes called instant runoff voting. Jason, why would Missouri voters be reluctant to go down that path? I think it's because Missouri voters have common sense, um, if I'm being completely honest with you. You know, ranked choice voting is something that sounds more like a thought experiment uh, or maybe something that would have been concocted as part of an academic study than an actual way to conduct an election. Uh, what you do instead of voting for one person in a ranked choice election, you can vote for as many folks as are on the ballot and you just rank order them, right? So if there are five candidates, then you select in order one, two, three, four, five, uh, and then you turn it in. And what happens is once all of the ballots are collected, then uh, you'll run a series of tabulations and the lowest performing candidate will get dropped. Their votes will get reshuffled. Uh, so the people who voted for the candidate that is uh, is getting dropped, their second place votes now count. And so you rerun the numbers and you do that until you get someone who has um, a, a purported majority of votes cast. It's a very complicated system and it has a lot of problems with it. It's confusing. It disenfranchises voters. And I think that what you saw again here in Missouri was, you know, a massive amount of money was going into trying to get this thing on the ballot and they just whiffed. And I think that they failed to get signatures and it wasn't even a close run thing. It was a pretty healthy uh, gap between what they turned in and what they needed. Um, I yeah, think they, that the reason admitted, is, right. I mean, when they turned in, signatures, oh, yeah, they admitted that they didn't they didn't have enough. It wasn't it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like even the people pushing this claimed that it was close. They they basically threw in the the, the uh, towel, uh, wave the white flag, you know, right at the right at the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, immediately they turned it in. And I think that they were trying to get ahead of the ball and and justify uh, the millions that got spent on this uh, complete failure of an effort. But I mean, it, it just makes the case right that you can throw millions of dollars at bad policies. But that's not going to paper over the problems of those policies. And I think that when, you know, Missourians were, were presented with this idea, they were scratching their heads and, and going, why are we doing this? You know, what we continuously uh, try to tell people is that voters want clarity in elections. They want elections they can trust. They want fair and clear rules. They want decisive results. And what ranked choice voting does is introduce a lot of complexity. It introduces an opaqueness to the process. And I don't think that's what we need to be doing. We shouldn't be experimenting with the foundations of our democracy. And so I was very, very glad to see that this attempt at pushing ranked choice voting in Missouri also uh, failed. So for those of you counting, as of right now, out of these three big uh, left-wing initiatives, Right now, the left is going 0 for 3, which is which is fantastic. Now, Michigan, it may still get on the ballot and we'll see. But uh, this is somewhere between 20 and 30 million dollars that was poured into this effort just to get these on the ballot. And so far, you know, they, they are, are failing in all three states. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll throw in my my two cents on ranked choice voting. I mean, it's it's fascinating. There's some. There are some folks who I, you know, who I respect, who I've worked with, who support ranked choice voting. And I, I think what they miss, and what is really clear to me from my background defending the Electoral College, is that elections are different at different sizes, which I think for, for folks who, you know, Jason, you kind of alluded to this, right? For folks who are very theoretical, 
that doesn't seem like that should be the case. You know, what difference does it make if it's 10 people voting on who should be the club chair or if it's 10 million people voting on who should be governor? But the fact is, those are totally those are totally different processes because the incentives are different. The stakes are different. Uh, the, the interests are inherently, you know, much more diverse. And I think some of these folks who support ranked choice voting just they they forget to take that into consideration, right? That a process that might work even, even in a party primary, because ranked choice voting has a, a lot uh, of similarities with a convention process, but we don't elect statewide officials by, by convention, right? We elect them in, in a ballot elections, right? That's a very different process. And I, I just, I wish some of those folks would think that through in a more practical rather than theoretical way, because I, I think I think they'd come to see that, you know, maybe ranked choice voting makes sense in, in some contexts. But when you're talking about statewide elections uh, or, you know, or, or potentially even larger elections, it just to me, it just makes no sense at all. And, you know, you see the left out there pushing this really hard because I think that, you know, it, it goes along with their agenda to sort of muddy up these processes and break things down and create less, less deliberative processes, less, frankly, less compromise uh, and more, you know, kind of splintered partisanship, which they seem to think is, is or at least they claim to think is democracy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, J Jason, let, let me uh, let me ask you question number four here, which goes right back to the reason the Honest Elections Project exists and the very heart and soul of your work. Your, your slogan is it should be easy to vote. What what needs to happen to make sure that that's the case? I mean, you know, you you've shown last time you were on the program. Um, I mean, that's what Americans want. Americans want it to be easy to vote, hard to cheat. How do we how do we get there? And what you know, what do states need to do? What do citizens need to uh to advocate to continue moving toward a, a better democratic process? Well, I think it gets back to what we were just talking about, bringing clarity and faith back to our election system. And the best, you know, the best way to figure out what those policies look like is to ask voters what they want to see. And they are remarkably clear. They want additional safeguards in the voting process, right? So things like voter ID laws, they want clean voter rolls, they want decisive results on election night. These are, are very common sense uh, ideas. And it really plays into a theme which we have seen over the last year. Um, Americans are sort of wondering why elections no longer work as well as they, they used to. Uh, folks, at least, you know, folks um, that are uh, that are old enough to remember this, remember that elections with much more primitive technology than we have today used to be a much smoother uh, set of, uh, of processes and delivered quicker results. And so I think that what we need to see, uh, among other things, is state legislatures continuing to step up to the plate every single uh, uh, legislative session. And and you know making uh, adjustments, incremental improvements to the voting process because these are complex systems. There isn't going to be a one size fits all solution, nor is there going to be a one and done solution. So states can always be learning from one another about new ideas in the election space that actually improve elections. But I don't think 
you know, I don't think that that means that we need to be experimenting with fundamentally new ways to vote, for instance, or policies that will delay election results. That's something the left loves to do. They love to push us towards all mail elections and set the receipt deadline, you know, a week or two weeks after election day in case there's one or two ballots out there that are not able to get in in time. And so we wind up with not an election day, but really an election season. I don't think that's what voters want. So if, if you're going to kind of distill this down into some particular policies that we would advocate for, I would say voter identification laws for every ballot that is cast, regardless of the method, right? So if you're voting in person or if you're voting by mail, you should have to use an ID. There are lots of need to see improvements to the process for list maintenance so that we actually know who is qualified to vote in an election in a jurisdiction. And that's especially important if you're looking at a vote by mail state because they're automatically sending ballots. So it's especially important there that you make sure that you're only sending ballots to people that are actually eligible to vote. I would say that we need to uh, we need to get Zuckbucks out of the election system, make sure that private money is not flowing in and potentially distorting the way that we conduct elections. I think that we need to see some, uh, I think that we need to see some improvements to the litigation side of this angle here as well, because the left is constantly going after these laws in court. I'd like to see that effort stopped by giving legislatures more control over the way that these cases are handled, right? But right now we see, unfortunately, partisan attorneys general and secretaries of state taking these cases as opportunities to essentially do end arounds uh, of the legislative process and substitute their personal views uh, of what the law should be for what the law actually is. That's a process um, uh, called consent decrees or settling cases, and it's been abused for a long time now. So I think that we need to clamp that down. And that's just really the beginning. There's so many other things that we can improve in the process. But fundamentally, to make it easier to vote and hard to cheat, I think we need to you know, keep on a central theme of delivering clear, decisive results, and that we have elections where you've got uh, fair rules, good safeguards, and we follow those rules from beginning to end. Makes sense to me. Talking with Jason Sneed, he's the executive director of the Honest Elections Project here on our Six Questions podcast. Question number five, going back to the uh, the Wolverine State, our friends up in Michigan, uh, the, the Secretary of State there, Jocelyn Benson, was ordered to remove, I think it was 26,000 dead voters from the rolls up there she had to be forced to do that. She fought against doing that. What, what, and we've seen that in other states as well, where you have election officials who don't want to clean up the voter rolls. I mean, what, what is the argument that you encounter from, from these state officials who are, you know, trying to keep dead voters on the rolls? I mean, what, what's going on there, Jason? Well, there's no good argument to keep a dead voter on on the rolls. But the, the argument that we constantly hear is that if you are engaging in list maintenance, right, that you are potentially taking away someone's right to vote, which is absolutely not the case. There are all sorts of protections against that. There's no uh, there's there's no bar on people who are potentially inadvertently removed from a voter roll from re-registering, for instance. So it's a it's complete hogwash to suggest that identifying people who have moved away or have died and removing them from the voter rolls is somehow voter suppression. But that's the argument that gets made. And you can see how absurd that is 
in Michigan because that's, you know, it, it is exactly on point. They were presented with evidence, very strong evidence, in fact, that these 26,000 people have been deceased in some cases for decades. And the Secretary of State refused to do anything about it, refused to take that evidence, refused to consider it, refused to remove those people from the voter rolls. So ultimately, uh, our friends at Public Interest Legal had to go to court. And I can tell you, because we've also been in court tangling with the Michigan Secretary of State, uh, that they are not interested in having clean voter rolls. You know, we we had a case uh, back in 2020, it wrapped up in 2021, uh, where we identified a number of problems with their uh, with their voter rolls. And the Secretary of State told us exactly the same thing that she told Public Interest Legal. There's nothing to see here. There are no issues. We have clean voter rolls. Well, what happened then was that we were in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And as folks will recall, the left took advantage of the pandemic to try to push us towards all male elections. So the Secretary of State automatically sent absentee ballot applications to every registered voter. At least 500,000 of those bounced back as undeliverable, and hundreds of thousands more went to people who are living at that address now but are not the, the voter who was supposed to receive that absentee ballot application. So even with this hard evidence that there were problems with the voter rolls literally landing in their laps, they still insisted to court uh, to courts that there were no problems with their list maintenance activities. Unfortunately, it does not seem like anything has changed because here they are once again refusing to do anything to clean up voter rolls. And it's incredibly unfortunate. One thing that we have to remember Every single year, about 10% of Americans move and many more become ineligible to vote because of felony convictions or they pass away. If we don't keep up with that constant churn, our voter rolls become inaccurate. And to loop back to one of the first things that we were talking about, the ballot measure that's uh, going to potentially be on the ballot in Michigan, it creates a permanent absentee voting list. So what does that mean? Poor list maintenance means that you've got out-of-date roles and you're going to be sending everyone a mail-in ballot. That is a recipe, at the very least, for a waste of taxpayer dollars. And I think at the very worst, it opens the door to fraud. So that's why this is so important, especially as the left continues to push us towards all-mail elections. So, Jason, you've been on before, you know, so we've already asked you our typical six questions. So I get to just ask you whatever I want for, for our six questions this time. And I... I, I want to. I just want to ask the kind of big picture messaging, you know, question here. Although I think it, even just calling it messaging maybe cheapens it a little bit. I mean, this is a very, it's a the very serious issue of some people arguing against secure elections, making them more ver, you know, verifiably honest. Uh, doing things to make voters have more faith in elections. There are folks out there in the media, on the political left, who describe all of this as a war against democracy. Some of them call it fascism. Somebody was calling me a fascist on Twitter the other day. Uh, you know, they they call it uh, they call it racism. Jason, how do people? How should people respond to those kind of really? nasty and absurd attacks? I think that you just have to accept that if you are going to, uh, to, to step up and speak about these issues, that someone on the left is going to call you a racist. Someone on the left is going to call you a fascist. That, that's just a day that ends in Y for me. Um, the, the, there is absolutely no connection between 
those charges and reality. And the only reason that they make these sorts of, you know, slanderous attacks is because they know they've got nothing else to lean on. We, we saw this repeatedly over the last couple of years when, when a state like Georgia considers election reform, they have to go out of their way to smear the, the bill, to smear the people who are pushing the bill, to smear the people who are supporting it. Because if they actually talk about the fact that the legislation in question uh, makes it easier to vote by providing more time for early voting or adds voter ID to, uh, to, to mail-in ballots, but still lets you vote by mail if you want to without an excuse. They know they're going to lose. So they can't have that debate on the merits. So they want to try to marginalize. They want to try to attack and ultimately scare you away. And so I encourage folks to remember one thing. If you believe in fair elections and you believe that elections should have rules and safeguards, you are in the majority. You know, we see this in polling time and time again. Um, a huge, overwhelming majority of Americans think that we should have these safeguards, including a majority of Democrats, a majority of low-income voters, a majority of Hispanic voters. The list goes on. So what we're seeing from the progressive left is an attempt to say that they are speaking for people, but they're not actually listening to any of these people who they say that they're trying to protect the voting rights of. In actuality, they're trying to silence and use those people as basically political pawns. So that's why I always tell people to remember, this is a bipartisan issue. It's an American issue. And it's not an issue of left versus right. This is an issue of left versus 80% of Americans. And I think it's time that we make sure that that majority voice is heard and that it's reflected in good common sense policies that make it easy to vote and, and hard to cheat. Makes sense to me. Jason Sneed, the executive director of the Honest Elections Project. How can people follow your work? Well, we've got a great website, honestelections.org. We're also very active on Twitter and Facebook. At Honest Elections is our handle for both of those. I encourage folks to check us out, follow us. And, uh, you know, we're, we're constantly uh, constantly putting out the latest news and, and feedback and, and takes on all the developments, especially as we get close to another election I don't see this issue uh, cooling down or calming down at all over the next uh, few months. And hopefully next year as well, we'll see states continue to uh, make those improvements that Americans want to their elections. Definitely, folks should do that. If you've been listening or watching and you are interested in supporting the work that Jason does, I, I just want to emphasize it is so helpful. It's so effective when you take the work of the Honest Elections Project, the work of Save Our States, and share that on Facebook, share that on Twitter, you know, even, even put it in an email and send it to your own personal email list. Uh, you know, groups like ours have to spend money to do that. And, and even when we can raise that money and can spend the money to do that, it's actually more effective when people do that on, on their own. So you out there have a powerful ability to help us reach a lot more people in a very efficient way when you go to the Honest Elections Project on Facebook or Twitter and you share that information. So please, please do that. Jason Sneed, thank you so much for once again being a great guest on our Six Questions podcast. Well, thank you. I hope I get uh, invited back at some point in the future. And let me thank you for everything that uh, that you and Save Our States is doing as well. Fantastic, fantastic work. And I do encourage everyone who's listening to uh, to to check them out, use their stuff and keep fighting for the Electoral College and for fair elections. Thanks so much. We'll be back in a week. <laughs>